appreciate y'all's loyalty to this group. Um, I, I reflect, I don't know what to say or if I should say anything. It's interesting we pull up a, a hot-button topic like women in the church and we fill the room, don't we? We talk about spiritual development and growth and uh, noticing sin in our life and that's not quite as interesting, isn't it? But I uh, appreciate y'all staying with us and uh, this to me uh, I've been over this this list uh, several times, and every time I go back through, I'm reminded to be very vigilant uh, in my life because uh, these seven sins that we often call the seven deadly sins, one reason they're so deadly is that they're so sneaky, uh, that they can certainly get into our lives and we don't really identify them and notice them. So to take the time and to go back and look uh, is is always helpful. Today we're on the next to the last one. Number six is envy. Envy. When I think of envy, I think of a story that was out, goodness, it's probably been 20 years ago now. I don't know how long. I didn't look it up. Uh, Do you remember the two ice skaters? One of them was Tanya Harding and the other was Nancy Kerrigan. Uh, How did that go? (laughs) Okay. (laughs) Uh, Nancy Kerrigan won the, Nash, the American Championship, National Championship, and Tanya Harding qu- qualified to go to the Olympics, but uh, came in second. And um, obviously, it's been shown through all the testimony and court cases and everything that she was so angered by that and so envious of Nancy that uh, she had her attacked and her uh, knee was hit. Wasn't it Sunday? Her boy, uh, Nan- uh, Tanya's boyfriend went and took out Nancy Kerrigan's knee. Made for a great story, a lot of drama, uh, but you just think, wow, you know, how could someone uh, be moved by envy that much to be that angry? Uh, tell me a Bible story that has to do with envy. There's more than one. Cain and Abel is the one that comes up, isn't it? And you think about uh, that uh, here Abel wins the gold medal and Cain comes in second. And uh, he is so angered by that. And, of course, we know the story. Uh, Envy uh, can be uh, something that can creep into our lives, maybe not to quite that extent, but can be still very um, dangerous and damaging to us. I found a Gore Vidal, Vidal uh, quote uh, that uh, I thought was pretty uh, clever. He said, every time a friend succeeds, I die a little. <laughs> that kind of captures the whole thing about envy too, doesn't it? How different that is from Romans chapter 12, verse 15, where Paul encourages us to rejoice with those who rejoice and weep with those who weep. So, we want to spend some time exploring this thing about envy and uh, see where it goes. You know, I have to start out with the word study, and I want you to listen carefully uh, to the word word that Paul used, and that it's all through the the, uh, Greek New Testament for envy. It's a very difficult word and a very ugly word. Uh, I I like it when ugly things have ugly names, and that way maybe we can uh, know those things and avoid them. The word for envy is Thonos. Let me spell that for you. P-H-T-H-O-N-O-S. 
We don't, we're not used to in our English-speaking world saying a PH and a TH together. Thonos. <laughs> but that is the basic word for envy. Uh, it's uh, defined as this. Bearing ill will toward another person because that person possesses something that you desire. There's something about another person that you want to have, and therefore your reaction is to bear a grudge or to bear ill will toward that other person. Now, when we talk about envy, there's another word that comes up in English that we use often synonymously. What is that word? Jealousy. That's right. Now, in English, envy and jealousy can pretty much be interchangeable. But that's not true in the biblical uh, language. There were two separate words. Uh, the word jealous, zelos, which we get our word jealous from. And uh, Aristotle, the philosopher, the Greek philosopher, said that the difference is that phthonos, or envy, is when your desire for what someone else has causes you to bear ill will toward them. You don't like that person because what they have is what you want to have. Whereas jealousy is to desire what another person has, but you hold no grudge and you don't really feel any ill will toward the person who does have it. It's something that you want, that person has it, you wish you had it, but it's not so much that you are angry with that person or wanting something bad to happen to that person because they have what you want. Now, that's an important uh, distinction because the word jealous is sometimes used in the Bible in a fairly positive way. Can anyone think of who is described as jealous in the Bible? God is. That's right. Uh, several passages. Uh, the most... Uh, uh, I guess familiar one is in Exodus chapter 20 right at the beginning of the Ten Commandments where he tells the Israelites not to have any other gods before him he says for I am a jealous God so how does that definition of jealousy that we just say, said how does that define God and how does that come out to be a positive thing and an attribute of his yeah, he wants us. He doesn't want anyone else to have us, including Satan or particularly in the Ten Commandments, any of these false, unreal gods to have our heart. Uh, he wants our heart and therefore he's jealous over us. He wants us for himself. Now, jealousy is not as as destructive as envy, but they both have a common enemy. They both work against something that is uh, very much an attribute that we want to have. What do both envy and jealousy undermine in our lives? All right, we're going to talk about love here in a little bit at the end, but that's, that's good. Yeah. If you live your life wishing you had something other than what you've got, wishing you had more, what are you not going to live your life in? What's that? Peace. Contentment is the word that I'm thinking of. All of these words kind of flow together, don't they? Uh, we are called upon to live our lives in contentment. Uh, in the book of Philippians, a letter that Paul wrote to the Philippian church, he says, For I have learned in all states to be 
content. Yeah, whatever circumstance I find myself in, whether I have a little or whether I have a lot, I've learned contentment. Uh, he also says to Timothy in First uh, Timothy chapter 6, verse 6, is a really uh, sweet little verse. Chapter 6, verse 6 of First Timothy. He says, There is great gain in godliness combined with contentment. When we learn to be satisfied with what God has provided for us, then uh, he says there's great gain in that. There is a great gift for our life whenever we reach that point where we can say that we have enough. Uh, I often mention this, but uh, I know that there's a passage in the New Testament that talks about <clears throat> Esau and Jacob and says that uh, Jacob I loved and Esau I hated. God says that. Uh, but I love Esau. I'm sorry. I really do. Uh, I know that he, he, at the beginning of the story of Jacob and Esau, Esau has, is quite a problem. And he is, it's hard for us to understand how he could be so gullible uh, over some of the ways that Jacob and Rebekah tricked him. Uh, but toward the end of the story of Jacob and Esau, when Jacob is coming back, and uh, he, he's afraid of Esau. Why is he afraid of Esau? Yeah. In fact, whenever Jacob had run away, uh, Esau said, I'll kill you. He, he, said that I will kill, he said, as soon as dad dies, I'm going to kill you. And so Jacob goes off. He's gone for about 20 years, uh, marries a couple of women, has a lot of kids, he becomes a wealthy man uh, at the expense somewhat of his father-in-law. His father-in-law Laban and Jacob are kind of equal uh, partner or a, a good match for each other, aren't they? They're both trying to, to, uh, to uh, scam the other one at times. But anyway, whenever Jacob, God tells Jacob, okay, it's time to go home. Jacob is glad to go home, but he's scared to go home because of Esau. And so he keeps sending out gifts to Esau, doesn't he? And one of the servants that he sends with the gifts comes running back and said, Esau's coming and he's got like 200 men with him. And so Jacob gets ready for the worst and he arranges everything. Finally, he and Esau meet and Esau says, what are all these gifts that you're sending me? And Jacob says, well, you know, they're yours. I want to give them to you. And Jacob makes a statement that is uh, really, to me, I don't know, this rings so true or, or such a need in my life, too. He says, I have enough. And uh, even though he had been cheated out of so much, even though so many things had been taken from him, he had come to the point in his life he thought he, he was aware of the fact that he still had enough. And so to come to that point in our lives where we may look at things and we think, well, it would be nice to have this, it would be nice to have more of that, but to have that contentment of all that God has given me, not just money, but uh, my, my life, my, the things I do, my health, all these things, it's enough. And I can be content with what I have. Well, certainly jealousy and envy uh, undermine that contentment, don't they? But it's envy that we're most worried about because envy does have that element of hatred and that element of anger in it 
where you want to reach out and punish the person uh, that perhaps you feel has something that you don't want. Let's run some references if you have your Bibles with you. Uh, Some of these references just have envy in a list of things, but we'll look at them all. Uh, Envy is not a word that's used a lot in Scripture. I think we can look at almost every passage tonight that Uh, in the New Testament that has actually has the word envy in it. Not the word jealousy, but the word envy. All right, Romans chapter 1, verses 28 and 29. This is a list of sins that uh, happen whenever people do not acknowledge God as God, when they decide to do things the way they want to do them, rather than acknowledging that God has the right to tell us what is good and evil. Verse 28. And since they did not see fit to acknowledge God, God gave them up to a debased mind and to things that should not be done. They were filled with every kind of wickedness, evil, covetousness, malice, full of envy, murder, strife, deceit, craftiness. They are gossips, slanderers, God-haters, insolent, haughty, boastful, inventors of evil, rebellious toward parents, foolish, faith, on and on and on, okay? But uh, there we picked up envy, and it's probably not an accident that envy is put in together with malice, murder, and strife, is it? Because envy can be the source of all of those things. All right, Titus chapter 3, verse 3. That's not right. Hmm. I read that. What's that? Oh, yeah, I'm looking at four. Okay. (laughs) Thank you. Back at the beginning of the chapter, remind them to be subject to rulers and authorities, to be obedient, to be ready for every good work, to speak evil of no one, to avoid quarreling, to be gentle, and to show every courtesy to everyone. For we ourselves were once foolish, disobedient, led astray, slaves to various passions and pleasures, passing our days in malice and envy. There again, we have malice and envy coupled together, even by the conjunction and there, don't we? And then he goes on to say despicable, hating one another. Uh, Because envy has that element of being judgmental toward others and being uh, 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 angry and having malice toward them. Okay, 1 Timothy 2.2. No, I tell you what, I meant to say 1 Timothy 6, 4, I'm sorry. 1 Timothy 6, 4. I have to back up to verse 3 to get the sentence. Whoever teaches otherwise and does not agree with the sound works of our Lord Jesus Christ and the teaching that is in accordance with godliness is conceited, understanding nothing, and has a morbid craving for controversy and for disputes about words, 
From these come envy, dissension, slander, base suspicions, and wranglings among those of a depraved mind and bereft of the truth, imagining that godliness is a means of gain. And so here he's saying these false teachers are teaching primarily out of, of envy. And uh, that brings up uh, Philippians chapter 1, verse 15 as well, uh, where the um, uh, people that were uh, preaching the gospel while Paul was in prison, he said that some of those were doing it out of envy. This is Philippians chapter 1, verse 15. Some proclaim Christ from envy and rivalry, but others from goodwill. And we talked about that in our study of Philippians on Sunday nights, how uh, sometimes even people can be engaged in good things for the improper motives. And here these people are envious of Paul and his success. He's an apostle. And now that he's behind bars and can't get out and do it, the only reason they're out doing it is because that will then detract from him, right? That, that they will be the ones getting the glory and they will be the ones that people are impressed by. Uh, a couple of other passages. It's interesting, Mark chapter 15, uh, verse 10. <clears throat> My version let me down on this one. Uh, it translated phthonos as jealousy, which is not correct. Uh, but in, in uh, Mark chapter t- 15, verse 10, we have when Pilate is uh, sentencing Jesus, and he's trying to get him released instead. It says, Pilate asked them, why, what evil has he done? But they shouted all the more, crucify him. So Pilate, wishing to satisfy the crowd, released Barabbas for them. Uh, well, wait, 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 wait. Verse 10, for he realized that it was out of, what do you have? Envy. Envy that the chief priest had handed Jesus over. Uh, what were they envious of with Jesus? Teaching people a new way of life that was not the Jewish way of living. All right. In a way, that, that's, that was their public front, wasn't it? There was the, the public thing was, this man is a false teacher. Because we have the truth and, and he doesn't. But, but when you bring envy into it, what were they envious of Jesus about? What's that? His authority. And who was attracting the crowds? Jesus was. That's right. And the crowds are supposed to come and listen to them. Uh, all their lives, the, the, or the, the time that they had been the, the chief priests and leaders, the people came to them for questions and to, to get answers to their questions and to know what to do. And now they're going to Jesus. And so they're envious of him. Do they want to bear ill will toward him because of the, yeah, they hand him over to die, don't they? So there again, we see the destruction uh, of the, the, the destructive nature of envy. All right, well, how does envy pop up in our lives? What does envy cause us to do? Uh, there's uh, three things that we can notice that envy uh, really does begin to work on us in and to lead us uh, down certain paths. It's interesting, but envy can drive us to be uh, sort of an overachiever, can't it? Uh, that if we are envious of somebody, we can use that motivation to spur us forward and to move on and to do something better. 
let me illustrate it this way. I'll use the kind of a... That's right. See, it looks positive in a way, doesn't it? Because it's making us a, a better person. We're working harder. But the, the motivation there is so that people will think that we're better than they are. Um, for example, uh, a couple of things I, I've mentioned before that I really uh, would have liked to have been. Uh, I would have really enjoyed being uh, a, an NFL linebacker. Uh, I, I, I think that, uh, I don't know, that just always appealed to me to, to be a really good professional football a linebacker. Um, that didn't work out very well. Uh, another thing that I really thought would be cool to be would be a concert pianist. Uh, I, I do, I, you know, I can pick around on the piano a little bit and everything, but uh, didn't quite uh, to become, you know, that um, concert pianist. Now, you can point out people in the NFL that are really good players, uh, and you can even point to someone who's a really good linebacker, and uh, that doesn't bother me at all. You know, because even though I would have liked to have been one, I'm not envious of the ones that made it. Uh, it just wasn't what I gave myself to, and I realized that it wasn't going to be attainable. Uh, you can talk about a, a really good piano player, and that doesn't bother me at all. You know, I can join right in that, yeah, that person's a really good piano player. However, there's a little struggle inside when someone comes up to me and says, have you ever heard this preacher preach? He is really good. Now, why does envy maybe want to pop up its little nose right there? Well, I've given my life to trying to be an effective preacher and to, to, to do a good job. And... Um, and hopefully have the maturity that, that when I hear comments like that, that I can switch over and say, yeah, because I appreciate good preaching too. I like to hear good preaching. Yet I have to admit that, that that's a little opening right there because sometimes it's like, well, am I not doing a very good job? <laughs> you know, what about me? Can you identify in what you are good at and what you are doing? And the things that you really want to be. It, you can be motivated uh, to, to do something in a good and positive way, and yet that envy can be kind of lurking in the background there. Um, I don't know, Kirk, does it bother you if someone tells you that they know somebody that's a really good lawyer? Okay, it doesn't Okay. <laughs> Kirk has no envy at all then, right? <laughs> okay. All right. Uh, another thing that envy can do for us uh, is to cause us to kind of take a shortcut and think we can get ahead by cutting corners. Now, Cain is a good example of this, uh, that uh, whenever you know, he found out that, that his offering was not received, what would have been a good, healthy response on that? All right, okay. And the, the desire then to learn how to make a good offering, right? Okay. Uh, but that's not the path he chose, was it? The path he chose was to just uh, uh, exert with force and, and become dominant over his brother by getting rid of his brother completely. Uh, and so uh, envy can cause us to try to find that shortcut. I read a story one time um, 
about uh, Rabbi uh, Kushner. Y'all may have heard of him. He wrote a wonderful book years and years ago called When Bad Things Happen to Good People. Y'all remember that, that book? All right. Well, what you probably don't know is that uh, there was another psychologist who wrote a similar book at the same time. His book came out at the same time that Kushner's did. And Kushner's book totally pushed his out of the market. And he was so upset because he had given so much time to writing this book and thought that people were really going to be uh, excited by his book and all they could talk about was Kushner's book. And his publisher even, you know, after one run, wouldn't even reprint the book. Uh, He became so envious of this that he went to therapy uh, and had had to go through therapy himself to deal with the emotions that he was feeling. And finally, what he decided to do was to read Kushner's book, and guess what he discovered? It was better than his. You know, once he read it, he realized that this really, truly is a better book. But mainly because Kushner spoke from experience. Uh, the other psychologist had written just based on observation. Uh, but Kushner had a son uh, who had a disease that caused him to age very quickly and to pass away prematurely. And so Kushner wrote with tears in his eyes. And so the, the man came to realize that what he had only observed, Kushner had lived, and therefore Kushner was able then to uh, write a better book. A third path, and one that often happens with envy, is it just leads us to a crushed spirit, a feeling that life isn't fair and uh, holds us down and keeps us from achieving what we could achieve. Uh, does anyone remember the movie Amadeus? What was Amadeus about? Mozart. But it was also about something else. What was it about? Yeah, not just jealousy. Envy. It was definitely envy. Salieri. Salieri was much more famous than Mozart whenever Mozart came onto the scene. He was the court composer. He had worked his way up to the high position of being recognized by the government as kind of the composer for Austria or whatever the area was defined by that government. And so he had achieved the top of his uh, profession. And he was a composer. He wrote lots of stuff. People listened to his stuff. They complimented his things. But then along comes Mozart. And Salieri was a very devout Christian man. In fact, he had promised God that he would give glory to him for any success that he had. And that he worshipped God and tried to shape his life accordingly so that God would bless him and give him the ability then to create great music. Uh, What was Mozart like as far as um, personality character? Not a hermit, no. He was a party animal. (laughs) Yeah, they exaggerated it in the movie, but uh, historically it is true that uh, he was a child prodigy, but he was uh, obscene, he was vulgar, uh, he just was not a pleasant person at all. And Salieri couldn't stand it. Now, 
Mozart died a mysterious death. He died at the age of 39, I believe, uh, which is amazing. You know, um, Beethoven lived to be much older. Uh, does anyone know how many symphonies Beethoven wrote? He wrote nine, nine symphonies. Does anyone know how many symphonies uh, Mozart wrote? Forty-one. Yeah, it's just amazing. Uh, Mozart, uh, Be- Beethoven wrote uh, five piano concertos in his lifetime. Uh, Mozart wrote at least 29. Just everything that Beethoven did, Mozart, you know, uh, produced so much more in just such a brief amount of time. And yet it was all so brilliant. But the movie kind of, there's always been historically some question is, did Salieri have any uh, role in Mozart's early death? And there's never been any way to prove that. But in the movie, they present Salieri that whenever he uh, is, is basically uh, incarcerated uh, because he's basically lost his mind, and when they bring him word that Mozart has died, what's his reaction? He smiles. Right. The spirit of Cain lived in him, at least according to the movie, didn't it? And we can, again, live our lives, if, if we're driven any at all by envy, by not, not being able to experience what life truly has to offer for us because we're so discontent that we don't have something else. All right, Paul brought up a moment ago, and we've, we've talked about how when we explore these sins, uh, that we really want to focus more on the, um, the anecdote to it. What do we do if we can uncover some envy in our lives? What is, what is it that counters uh, that particular uh, emotion or sin? Paul, you said it a moment ago. Love, okay. 1 Corinthians chapter 13. 1 Corinthians 13. Beginning in verse 4. Okay, love is patient. Love is kind. Love is not envious or boastful or arrogant or rude. It does not insist on its own way. It is not irritable or resentful. It does not rejoice in wrongdoing or suffering. It's kind of like what we're talking about with the envious. Uh, Even if someone that you don't like, something bad happens, you don't rejoice in that. But rejoices in the truth. It bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, and endures all things. Now, one thing that I think we do wrong with this passage is we start thinking, okay, these are a list of ways that I can learn to be loving. Uh, if I want to love, I learn to be patient. If I want to love, I learn to be kind. If I want to learn, I learn not to be envious. But really, it's the other way around, that if you learn how to love, then you end up being a patient person. If you learn how to love, you are a kind person. If you learn how to love, then you're not going to be 
envious of another. You're not going to bear ill will toward them just simply because they have something or are something uh, that you are not. Now, love is not an emotion. It's more of an action, isn't it? And uh, the word agape basically means to put other person's needs ahead of your own, that you are willing to do whatever you can to benefit them, Uh, even to the point uh, where if you feel like that they have some kind of advantage over you at a particular time, you are still going to work for their good rather than trying to take something away from them. Now, a good story, a biblical story in this uh, I think that it illustrates this is the, the story of Saul and David. Um, what did Saul feel about David? Okay, very much he envies him, doesn't he? Did he, did he, want, did he bear him ill will? What was, he, what was he envious of? His popularity, okay. What else? Okay, uh, God took his spirit away from Saul, didn't he? And God's spirit came upon David. And Saul was, I I know, very much aware of that. He was very much aware that, that he had been anointed to be the next king. And that angered him because who did he think ought to be the next king? Jonathan, his son, right. And so in really trying to uh, prevent David from becoming the next king, Saul remained king all of his life. David was not there to usurp uh, Saul's authority. And in fact, he was very supportive of Saul's authority, wasn't he? Uh, At incidents in his life, he would tell people, Saul's your king. I'm not your king. So David was not trying to take anything away from Saul, but Saul was focused upon his son becoming the next king, that there would be a dynasty of Saul. Now, uh, it enraged him because, how did Jonathan feel about David? Well, of the two, Saul or Jonathan, which one would you think would be uh, more, have, have more of a reason to be envious of David? Yeah, Jonathan would have been, don't you think? Because he was the one that was going to lose out. He was the one that it became obvious to him he was not going to be the next king, but yet David was. Well, why was Jonathan not envious of David? Because he loved him. That's right. And they talked about that. They talked about their deep friendship and how strong it was. And for Jonathan, for David to succeed was okay with him because that was someone that he loved. And therefore, just another example how it is love that overcomes envy more than any other thing. That if we really focus on what is good for someone else, then we're never going to be envious of them for what they have that we don't have. Any other stories that come to mind in the Bible that illustrate envy and love and jealousy? And... Okay. All right. Okay, there you go again. Joseph and his brothers. His brothers were envious of him, weren't they? What did they envy the most about Joseph? His father's love. That's right. Uh, did they bear ill will toward Joseph because of that? Very definitely, didn't they? Uh, just did some unspeakable things, uh, had planned on killing him, 
until uh, Simeon, was it Simeon or was it Reuben? It was Reuben that talked him into putting him in the well, wasn't it? You know what? We can go back and look and find out. Okay. <laughs> Should be chapter thirty nine. We're in chapter 37 of, of Genesis. No, it's Reuben. Verse 20 is when they say, Come on now, let's kill him and throw him into one of the pits. Then we shall say that a wild animal has delivered him, or devoured him, I mean, and we shall see what will become of his dreams. But when Reuben heard it, he delivered him out of their hands, saying, Let's not take his life. Reuben said to them, Shed no blood. Throw him into this pit here in the wilderness, but lay no hand on him, uh, that he might rescue them from their hand and restore him to the Father. So he planned on coming back and, and rescuing Joseph. Yeah, that's where Judah then says that. But it's Reuben that, that talks him into throwing him into the pit. It's Judah that talks him into selling him rather than killing him. Which, in my way of thinking, Reuben is kind of a little more noble because he's going to get him out of the pit and take him back home to Dad. Oh, you think so? Okay. Oh, okay. <laughs> Maybe not. <laughs> well, Reuben is the oldest. Reuben should be the most loved. Yeah. So you have to throw him at least a little bone. No. Yeah, it comes back to verse 29. When Reuben returned to the pit and saw that Joseph was not in the pit, he tore his clothes and he returned to his brothers and said, The boy is gone. But he doesn't say about my father. He says, And I, where can I turn? Because who's going to be held responsible primarily for Joseph's disappearance? Reuben. He's the, he's the oldest one. He's in charge. So. By the way, uh, I really run to the end of my notes. We're going to we'll let you all out here in about two minutes. But uh, I, this is one of my favorite uh, stories in all of Scripture is the Joseph story. Uh, because there's a, a word here in verse 39, I mean in verse 33 of chapter 37, where they take the... Um, the robe or the coat with uh, many colors or long sleeves, whatever it was, after it's been dipped in the blood. And they take it to Jacob and says, we found this coat, do you recognize it? And he says, uh, he says you know, that he did recognize it. And all through the rest of that story, uh, the story is about recognizing things. 
and seeing them. And uh, the brothers do not recognize uh, Joseph whenever they run into him in Egypt, but he recognizes them. And then at the end, uh, whenever he takes his uh, Egyptian garb off or something and, and tells them that he's Joseph, uh, it's, then they recognize him. Uh, so it's interesting storytelling. Uh, one one of the most fun courses I ever had in biblical study was uh, studying the Bible as literature and seeing all the literary devices that are used in Scripture to hold it together. It's not just telling us the truth of God. It's also just great literature in the way that it's written. And sometimes we don't really approach it in that way and appreciate uh, how wonderfully written it is. But uh, especially to be so ancient uh, that, that they were using that kind of sophistication in the way they put things together is quite amazing. Uh, yeah, because a lot of those things uh, help us understand the story that maybe we're a little bit, um, uh, I mean, we don't pick up on why we follow the story so well, but we do because they wrote it so well. Yeah, all right. Okay, well, next week we're going to look at sloth, and um, we'll um, see, see what, what they're so bad about sloth. Let's close with a prayer. Father, we do thank you that uh, we can come and uh, ask ourselves the question, uh, am I envious in any way in my life? Uh, does, are there things that I wish I had that keep me from enjoying the contentment that we have in you? Uh, are there things in my life that cause me problems with other people uh, because uh, they have something that I wish I had or was? Father, as we ask ourselves these questions, we pray that you will uh, bring to our hearts and minds the things that we do need to change, we need to repent of, we need to give to you. We know, Father, that you will forgive us, uh, that you will forgive us of all the sins that we confess to you and we, we hold up to you to remove from our lives. And we thank you for your steadfast love and faithfulness in this. And, Father, we do pray, too, that uh, you will bless us with a good night's rest, uh, that you will... Uh, help us to rise in the morning with open eyes to see the needs of others that we may serve. And we pray this through Jesus. Amen.